Uh, he was a police officer at that time and was battling some undiagnosed things going on in the combination of going through a, a really awful IA. And um, October 17th of 2011, he was working patrol at night, decided to take his life on duty with his on-duty weapon. And while my bachelor's was in psychology, that event really spurred this sort of, kind of in a weird way, like this obsessive desire to learn as much about suicide, law enforcement related depression, um, first responder support as much as possible because of that event and then what I saw unfolding afterwards. Welcome to the Transition Drill Podcast. As members of the first responder and military communities, we need to be planning today for our transition from these careers. Because unfortunately, as many have experienced, these careers can tell us the ride is over before we're ready for it to be done. My name is Paul Pantani and I've spent the past 30 years in law enforcement, working in various assignments and promoting through the ranks of leadership. With the help of my guests, who like you are either former or current military members or first responders, the goal of this podcast is to provide you with information to help you in your planning. But just as important, we can't forget to take care of ourselves today. So I'm also gonna have guests who are gonna talk about how to be more physically and mentally fit. Welcome back everyone. This week I got the opportunity to talk with Stephanie Kiesel. Stephanie spent 16 years in law enforcement, including time as a cadet, a dispatcher, and a police officer. During her time in law enforcement, the suicide of a fellow officer who she was extremely close with prompted her to go back to college and get her master's in organizational psychology, which she then created a peer counseling and officer wellness program. During the last couple years that she was a cop, she also began teaching responsible beverage service classes and in 2022 got the opportunity to buy the RBS teaching company. She chose to leave law enforcement and today owns Central Coast RBS. She's busier than ever, but happier because she has more time with her family. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Please enjoy episode 68. Did you think you were going to be as busy as you were once you got out of law enforcement as you are right now? No, I think that was one of the biggest surprises um, for me. The financial aspect, I think, was a big surprise that, hey, I can survive outside of law enforcement. But also, I mean, there's days where I'm running around like a chicken with its its head cut off. Um, so that was kind of a pleasant surprise in a way, but then also, too, um, surprising because I thought my my transition out of law enforcement would be kind of boring. Um and it's not. You had a little bit of an idea, though, what you were getting into when you made that jump, right? I did. So I sort of unintentionally set myself up. In all honesty, I could not have planned it the way that it ended up. Um, I, I'm a, a person of faith, and I very much believe that this <laughs> was planned um, outside of my own doing because there the way that everything just kind of aligned was um, was really amazing. But I did do certain things that kind of put into motion that transition, which looking back now, I'm really grateful for. 
Taking a step back, though, as a kid growing up, you were almost predestined to be in law enforcement because your parents <laughs> were in law enforcement, correct? Yeah, both my my dad and my mom um, were both uh, police officers. Um, my mom is retiring just in a few months, actually. And then my dad retired, oh gosh, seven, eight years ago now. Um, so they both had lengthy careers in law enforcement. But to be in all honesty, I did not want to be a cop. Um, for a really long time growing up, I had some idea that I would have some, um, variation of being in law enforcement, but I didn't think it was going to be sworn. So where's hometown for you? Ventura County. And growing up, what, what you say that you thought about becoming a cop, but what was kind of more driving you as a kid growing up? Growing up until I hit later high school. Uh, I really wanted to be a veterinarian, um, loved animals, been riding horses, having dogs, cats my whole life. Um, so really wanted to go into something animal related, wanted to be a vet for the longest time, but then, um, admittedly, I'm not the best at math. And <laughs> once I saw how much math is involved and how much schooling is involved, I was like, well, maybe, maybe I don't want to go that route. Um, at that time, I I was all right in school. Um, wasn't the best, wasn't the worst, but the thought of all of those years of schooling wasn't really attractive to me at that at that point, which is ironic because now that's kind of what I'm in <laughs> um, is is teaching and uh, the educational side of things. But but back then it wasn't um, the path for me just because of that. One of the things I found in in doing this podcast and talking to a lot of people, myself included. Many of us didn't grow up really enjoying school or being very driven by academics, mm -hmm. but then a lot of us came around and came into academics later in life. Absolutely. That and, was totally me. Yeah. And and so I, I don't know if there's a, a correlation to those that type of mindset that gets drawn to the first responder military community, but I definitely see that as, as a commonality. Mm -hmm. It's... I just want to get through high school. Let me be done. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe some college education is, is good for me. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it, it had to be something that I was really into, something that I was passionate about, which really didn't happen until my college years. Did you come from a big family? No. Um, it's my parents. They divorced when I was young. Um, and then I have a brother, a younger brother, um, who, uh, we grew up together and then he went off to go into uh, the army, um, did infantry, went overseas, um, Afghanistan for a while. So um, we were we were really close. And then when he came back from Afghanistan, we sort of re-cemented our relationship. But there was kind of a gap where we didn't really have the opportunity to grow together for several years. And you mentioned growing up around animals. Did your parents have what quote unquote would be a farm with horses and all that? Or were you just peripherally connected through other people? My grandparents on my mom's side had a lot of horses. So the equine connection was through them. Um, my dad was not into animals, <laughs> but I sort of uh, forced his hand just because he saw how into animals I was. So I had dogs with him. Um, rats, grew up with rats, pet rats. Uh, great animals, by the way. Um, and then my mom said... says nobody else. <laughs> I loved them. They were, they were, you could train rats. They, they're really fun. Um, and then on my mom's side, I rode horses through my grandfather. My mom has always had horses. Uh, her, her horse right now was on the mounted unit, uh, with her sheriff's department. 
um, cats, dogs, really everything. Was was being involved with horses just something you did as a hobby or were you actually competing doing? No, just a hobby. Yeah. Western trail ride. Just kind of my escape. I mean, I grew up in Ventura County and it's not really rural. Um, and it's it's kind of more like a beach um, city uh, where I grew up. It was the city of Ventura. And, you know, everybody wanted to go to the beach and go surf and that was fun, but it really wasn't my gig. And so going into the country and um, being out in nature with the horses, that was more my thing. What about athletics? Any sports you were into? Softball. Yeah, did softball for a while. I uh, was catcher for many, many years. I got two knee surgeries to prove it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was really into softball. And then I was actually going to play softball into college, but my knees prevented that. So, And as far as we, we've mentioned, your mom and dad both came from law enforcement. What were their goals for you? Were they pushing law enforcement? No. Their goal was probably anything other than <laughs> law enforcement, especially my dad. Um, I mean... He, he retired as a um, commander, like lieutenant equivalent. And so, I mean, he, he saw firsthand, both of them did, um, but especially him, he, he saw firsthand all of the, the BS, you know, that us in law enforcement go through. And um, I think, you know, having a daughter, right, you don't want her to get hurt or have any safety issues with with your occupation so um they weren't necessarily pushing me towards um that career path but once I made the decision to go that route then of, of course they were supportive of that so coming out of high school did you go straight into college I did and what year was that uh 2006 and what were you looking to or what did you start studying at that point in time yeah so I got my general ed I went to my community college uh, and then after those two years, I went to um, CSU Channel Islands, which is nearby where I grew up. Um, kind of went the unconventional route. I uh, didn't really have the uh, traditional college experience in the sense that I worked for jobs <laughs> when I went to college. So didn't really get like the true, you know, party college years uh, like a lot of uh, my age group did. Um which, which was really good because it really cemented my foundation in law enforcement. Um, right when I graduated high school, I actually became a cadet at my local police department. Um, not really trying to get my foot in the door per se, but, you know, it was a connection that I had had through my parents. Um, it was a way to make money, obviously, going through college. It paid for my ramen and <laughs> macaroni and cheese that I ate in college. Um but that really, that job, that department specifically, um, really cemented my desire to be a part of like the camaraderie and that, just that team atmosphere. Were they I pretty saw. good about working with you as far as your school schedule and your work schedule? Yeah, or they basically, so. so it wasn't kind of like, Hey, we don't care. You're going to school. You got to be here Monday at, from, you know, eight to five. No, it, it, they were a wonderful department, very accommodating, very supportive, very family oriented. What were you studying at when you made the transition, though, into a four-year? What were you studying? Psychology. And what was your goal at that point in time? So when I worked at uh, the department where I was a cadet, I went on a, a lot of ride-alongs. And at that point when I was getting my bachelor's, I didn't really know where exactly I would end up. 
But one common thing that kept popping up during my ride-alongs, which I, I honestly probably did like a hundred, give or take. Um, I I did so many. That was like my weekend fun was going on ride-alongs, which makes me sound like a big nerd. Um, but one common thing that I kept hearing was, if you stay in law enforcement, whatever variation you do, um, get your education in something completely different. Have a have a backup plan. Did you come to that on your own, or did you have people in your no, ear telling you that? People specifically, a lot of people told me that. A lot of cops told me that. So what I ended up getting my bachelor's in was um, uh, just general psychology, um, which was really great because that really fast-tracked me into a different avenue that I took later in life. Um, but that advice that I got was spot on because I ended up using that later. And so coming out of college, did you go down the private sector professional route or did you went because you didn't go immediately into law enforcement in the sense of being a cop. You kind of had a couple stepping stones. So what was the next stepping stone for you? Yeah, I, I have a thick head, so it took <laughs> me a while. Uh, no. So I graduated college in 2010, was still working at my first police department, um, was with them for five years, really wanted to do something with them, but it was uh, such a great department that no one left. There were really no open vacancies at that time. And I was only working part-time as a cadet, doing waitressing, other odd jobs at that time. And so I was looking for something full-time once I graduated. So I went to a different department, became a dispatcher. So if that agency had had an officer position open, you probably would have applied back then, do you think? Probably not. Oh, okay. Probably dispatch or some other full-time non-sworn job. And so your first or your next jump was as a dispatcher. How long did did you do that for? I did that for a few years. um, And then there was some internal things going on at my second department. So I stayed there, but I uh, transitioned, um, sort of made a lateral move within the same department to an animal control officer. Um, so for that department, animal control was under the umbrella of the police department. So I did that for uh, a few years also. And then in 2016, I had, uh, my first son with my first husband. Now, when you say there were some things going on internally, and obviously we don't need to air all the dirty laundry, but was it enough that it was having an impact on you and potentially staying in the profession? It was having an impact to the point where I knew if I stayed in that working environment, I probably would have to go on to like antidepressants. Um, it was just a really unhealthy working environment that I didn't really want to entertain the idea of staying in. But not enough to, to make you want to completely walk away from the, the profession as a whole. Right. Yeah. And so animal control, but then had your child. Mm-hmm. Was your plan at that point to just full-time mom? Yeah. Uh, I quit. Um, did the stay-at-home mom bit for about a year um, due to some unfortunate circumstances found myself um, filing for divorce when my son was a little over a year and I was I had returned to the workforce but for um, a different agency so now my third police department Again, as a dispatcher? Again, as a dispatcher, working part-time for them. And when I went through my divorce, I was like, well, this obviously isn't um, supporting us. 
like it needs to be now that I'm on my own. And so I really went through the very short list of, all right, well, what am I going to do from this point forward? I have a child now, I'm not married, I have to support myself. So um, really the only option that I saw at that time was to go into the police academy. And so um, as hard as that decision was, because I knew that that was going to require a lot of sacrifice in, in terms of time with my child, um, I knew that that was going to be the best way that I could financially support us. Taking a step backwards, um, and this is kind of an over general question. You got a bachelor's degree in psychology. Is there much you can fall back on with a undergrad degree in psychology in the workforce? Not anything that I was interested in um, or that I felt <clears throat> would pay the bills. Um, there are some job markets that will take you with that, but um, in the field of psychology, you really need more education wise. And you hadn't, at that point, you hadn't gone on to start working towards your, your graduate degree. No, not at that point. And so when you decided to cross the bridge and actually go sworn law enforcement, what year was that? 2018. And with a, a fourth agency or? No, no. So this was the same. Yeah. So your third agency. I, my third and last agency. Um, at that time, they were um, a really great agency, really um, educationally incentive, really supportive, family oriented, all the things that I had experienced with my first agency. It was very similar with the third. And so I was like, you know, um, it's not going to get much better than this. This is a really great place to be. So I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put myself through the academy. And taking that step at that point in time in your life, were you thinking, all right, this is going to be my career for the rest of my life? Or were yes. you, so you had bought in hook, line and sinker. Yep. And what caused... I don't want to call it a path deviation, but you, you kind of got brought into almost, if I'm going to loosely call it peer support, mm -hmm. how did yeah, that loosely. come about? So taking a step back, um, in 2011, I was dating, um, when I was, well, I guess I have to go, bring us back to 2006 actually. So when I worked for my first department, um, there was a, a group of uh, five of us that were all cadets, super tight, super close. And it was myself, um, my friend Ricky, and then a few others. So Ricky and I were really close. Um, his dad was in law enforcement. My dad was in law enforcement. We all worked for the same department. So we were really, really tight, really close. Um, so in 2011, Ricky and I started dating. And... Long story short, uh, he was a police officer at that time and was battling some undiagnosed things going on in the combination of going through a, a really awful IA. And um, October 17th of 2011, he was working patrol at night decided to take his life on duty with his on-duty weapon. And while my bachelor's was in psychology, 
that event really spurred this sort of kind of in a weird way, like this obsessive desire to learn as much about suicide, law enforcement related depression, um, first responder support as much as possible because of that event. And then what I saw unfolding afterwards. Were you still dating him at the time? Yeah. And in hindsight, were there signs that you were seeing that you maybe were, I don't want to say ignoring, but you weren't acknowledging consciously? There were definitely signs that looking back, I absolutely see now. But at that, that point in my life, um, I didn't see them. You know, you, you don't know what you don't know at that time. And that was kind of what I went through um, was, um, it's funny because I actually teach about this now. Um, and <clears throat> the term that we use is leakage. There was absolutely leakage that he was showing everybody, but nobody really saw it as that. For somebody who might be in the position <laughs> of seeing the leakage today, what are some of the things that, that they're going to see or that they should be mindful of in their partners, whether it be a friend, a spouse, coworker? Yeah. Um, the biggest for him was a lot of messaging prior to what he did. So I don't know how far in advance he had this planned, but what I can tell you is um, a few weeks prior, he and I had a pretty significant blow up, you know, as all couples do. Um, and we were really rocky leading up until uh, the day that he did what he did. But the day prior, he messaged me out of the blue and just sounded really different. Um, I'm so sorry for this. You're so great. You know, I'm, I'm dumb for not doing X, Y, and Z. Um, kind of like this weird pessimistic view on life, on our relationship, but also um, boosting my ego and like all the great things that he's never acknowledged before, which was very not how he was. And so I thought to myself, you know, at that time, this is kind of weird, maybe, well, maybe he's just changing, right? Maybe he's, he's come to his senses. Um, but that was really him making amends and in his way saying goodbye and then come to find out he did that with other people that were important in his life. It wasn't just me. Um, and so I think knowing what I know now, that was definitely one of his, um, signs of leakage that he was trying to tie up loose ends when he decided that that's what he was going to do. What would your recommendation be to somebody today? If they, if they see this, mm -hmm kind of 180 change in behavior. I mean, obviously if he's going to, if the person is committed to it, you can't blame yourself, but what might you be able to do differently or what might you have done differently? Yeah. Um, if that happened today, knowing what I know now, I would start asking questions. Um, I really just took it at face value at that time. And if that were to happen now, I would, I would certainly ask, Hey, where is this coming from? You sound different. What's going on? Um, and just start asking questions, um, not in interrogation, but just as a supportive partner or colleague or someone that cares about this person. Um, because I, obviously I don't know 
if anything would have been different. But I think had I started asking questions, I think I would have had a little bit more insight as to where he was mentally at that time. So moving forward, was there any other significant events that really kind of pushed you towards this peer support? And and if there's a, a better terminology for it, what would you call it? Wellness. Okay. First responder wellness, law enforcement wellness, I think. Um, I think that was the most contributing event. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't the last that I've been a part of or... Um, helped with, but I think that was the most significant where it really propelled me towards wanting to help first responders, most notably police officers with mental health related issues. And did that drive you back into college also? Yeah, it did. So, um, so with my, uh, department, once I became a police officer, um, kind of started me along this path of wanting to create a wellness, um, program, uh, that my department did not have. And so I did a lot of research and, um, I kind of came to the conclusion like, well, I can't really be in charge of something I don't know much about, uh, or I felt like I didn't know much about, um, educationally. So I decided to, um, get my master's degree. And at the time I was working graveyards and, you know, you try to stay awake at 4.30 in the morning. So I was like, well, why not? There's worse things a I could do. A 15 page paper makes it real easy. Right? Yeah, right. Well, it's better than being on, I don't know, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever. Um, <clears throat> so I got my uh, master's um, in about a year, kind of fast tracked um, this online program that I went through and got my master's degree in organizational psychology, which really gave me a good foundation, not only for the wellness aspect that I was really interested and involved with, but I saw, because now I've, I've worked for three police departments, um, what works and what doesn't work in terms of really fostering that wellness for the police officers within each agency. Um, and then around that time, I took a lot of classes, I took a lot of webinars, and one that I took uh, was by uh, this gentleman named Rick Wall, who I ended up uh, becoming a teacher for. Um, and so I, I, I actually uh, teach for him off and on um, through post um, on different topics, um, like suicide by cop, officer wellness is in there as well, um, different things. And so... Um, that foundation of what I experienced with Ricky really was the cementing piece that made me realize this is something that I'm interested in, but also something that I can kind of give back with. Now, did you start trying to unofficially implement it in your agency while you were going through your advanced college and training, or did you put it into practice after all that was done? I sort of came up with all of the um, memorandums and um, paperwork that needed to be done in order to kind of um, implement things. Um, Unfortunately, it wasn't implemented until after I left um, that department uh, a few years later. Uh, But that was really what got me into figuring out, okay, this is what works. This is what I have seen and what I've studied that doesn't work. And that was 
where I was going with that was, so what year are we, um, again, please, <laughs> what year are we looking at that you're trying to get this implemented? 2019, 2020. Okay, so still relatively new, but I still think we're, for a lot of agencies, still dealing with the stigma of asking for help. Absolutely. And so did you find that you were getting, obviously, they didn't jump on it right away because they didn't implement it till you left, but were you getting pushback or do you, were you getting support from the inception? I think it was mixed. Um, I was getting support from... A, newer officers, B, people that were uh, struggling that no one else knew about. Because uh, a lot of people would come to me um, just, you know, out of talking and, you know, getting to know your colleagues. Um, I would kind of be the person that a lot of people would come to just to talk about these things. Um, I was very open about my experiences. So I, I think that kind of breaked the ice with with a lot of people. Um but with the more senior officers that have, you know, 15, 20, 25 years on, it wasn't really something that they had. So I think, I wouldn't say I got pushback, but I don't think I got support either. Taking yourself as an example, from what you experienced, did it make it easier for you to... Because for all of us, I'm sure it's hard when we see something in our peers to cross that last bridge and go, are you okay? Did you find it a little bit easier from what you had experienced? A hundred percent. Yeah. And I was kind of the, the obnoxious. Uh, little sister. <laughs> I was going to say mom, but a little sister probably would have been more appropriate. But yeah, like I was kind of like the mama bear, especially with my squad. Um, I was very almost like annoyingly um, persistent about checking in. How are you doing? How's life? Um, you know, we talked about finance issues a few months ago. What's new with that? Are you doing all right? You know, um, because unbeknownst to them, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, I can see where this has gone bad. I don't want that to happen with the people that I care about. So I was really open and um, continually checking in on people. And you, you gave a nice segue to it. So one of the things that you were able to determine was finances cause a lot of the mental and emotional problems, mm -hmm. which caused you to go into a completely different path <laughs> and become a financial advisor. How, I mean, how did that come about? Financial coach. Yes. Financial coach. Yes. My, my what's the, <laughs> Okay. What's the difference? Yeah. So, um, financial advisor is more investment related, um, trying to figure out where to put your money to get the most uh, ROI, ROI, return on investment. Financial coaching is more, all right, where are you at right now? Where do you want to be? Let's try to figure out a path uh, of least resistance, get you there the fastest. So, um, yes, uh, that was sort of um, an unintentional side gig that I kind of fell into. Um, but I did see how finances really affected mental health, marriages, um, really just every segment of one's well-being. And so, and, and my own experiences too. I mean, when I went through my divorce, working part-time, I racked up a lot of debt, um, 
trying to figure out how you're going to pay car payments and credit card statements and all these bills and food and gas and all these things. I mean, it took a toll on me. Um, and one story that, that I, um, shared a lot with, with my colleagues was, um, for me, my, uh, I've had it moment, um, was it involved a pretzel <laughs> ironically enough. Um, so when I was going through my divorce, um, you know, I took my son to the mall, uh, just to walk around and, you know, he's what barely two. So he's just like toddling around at that point. Uh, but he wanted one of those mall pretzels, those big old salty pretzels. And I was so strapped for cash so far in debt that I couldn't even afford to buy my son a freaking $4 pretzel. And that killed me. Um, and this was right along, right around the time where I decided to put myself into, um, the police academy. And so because of that experience, how much it affected me, that debt and that financial aspect, um, and then because of what I saw with my colleagues and how much that impacted them, their marriages, their personal well-being, uh, I um, became a certified financial coach uh, through Ramsey Solutions, which is um, kind of a big name in the financial world. Dave Ramsey, he's got podcasts and all kinds of things. Um, but I became a big fan of, of his, uh, listened to a lot of his um, his stuff. And so, um, they have a program where you can, um, become a certified financial coach through them. So I did that and then sort of offered up my services to a lot of nonprofit, um, organizations specific to first responders, um, that would offer financial coaching, counseling, marital counseling, things along those lines for free for first responders. And so I did that sort of as a side gig. But did you originally go looking for Ramsey's program or, or a similar type program intentionally, or did it just come to you by accident? Just came to me. Yeah. I, I Again, I, I just kind of fell into it. I really could not have planned for all of these things that I, that I really just fell into. So now people are going to be surprised. That's not what you're doing now. <laughs> I know. All these other pit stops that you've made. Yeah. When was it for you that catalyst to start thinking, okay, maybe law enforcement isn't going to be my entire career and I need to, I, I want to start looking at exiting. Yeah. Um, I think the financial coaching business had me think outside the box a little bit in terms of maybe there are things outside of law enforcement for me because I really liked the day-to-day -day running the business, um, being your own boss. Being my own boss was very attractive, not having to worry about scheduling and vacations off or being denied time off. Um, so I kind of had that in the back of my mind. And uh, I did a few more years as a police officer, um, but my department really spiraled downward very quickly. Um, and this was, you know, around the, the time of the whole George Floyd uh, thing where, you know, policing in America was, was very, very difficult. Uh, but I worked in a very, um, openly liberal part of, um, Santa Barbara County and they were not supportive of, of their police at all, really. And that sort of translated into the department, not 
doing, in my opinion, what was best for its officers. So there were a lot of internal things that um, caused that thinking to sort of evolve. Um, But um, I, at that time, was teaching for post through Rick Wall. Really loved teaching. Um, was actually thinking about continuing my education after my master's, getting my PhD so I could be like a college professor or um, continue down the line in that regard. Um, But because I was teaching for for post for Rick Wall and uh, for the corrections side for STC, um, a retired police officer who had his own business approached me and was like, Hey, I know you, you teach, um, over zoom and in person. Um, I have my own business called central coast RBS. Um, I'm looking for an instructor. Is this something that would be of interest to you? And, and, um, he taught the, um, new mandated alcohol serving law, uh, to everyone who serves alcohol in restaurants, bars, wineries, et cetera, here in California. And I was like, well, I don't know much about it, but seems interesting. And at that point in my life, um, I just wanted to have an open mind about things because I kind of saw, I don't really know where things are going to end up. Right. I started down psychology, then went law enforcement, then went financial coaching. So, um, I really wanted to have an open mind about things. And, um, I'm kind of a weird nerd when it comes to like lifelong learning. I really love education now as much as I didn't like it high school and, um, grade school years. I really love it now. So I was like, well, that sounds interesting. And, um, tell me what I need to know. So there was quite a a learning curve, had to learn a lot. Um, but then became an instructor for him. And this business was his side gig. He had his own nine to five and it eventually got so big that he wanted to sell it. And he approached me and was like, would you be interested in, in, um, taking over the business and kind of running with it? And, uh, that was a really hard decision. Um, at that time, now we're getting into, um, 2021, um, I was having a really hard time internally with my department, um, with my job as a police officer, to be to be quite frank, I, I got into law enforcement to help people and to feel like I was making a difference, but I felt very handcuffed because I was kind of just like a glorified security guard and I wasn't really able to do a lot. Um, they didn't want us being proactive. We were really just a reactionary department at that point which was really frustrating to me. Um, so, um, I previous to this had, um, gotten remarried. Um, I met my husband, um, in all places at the police Academy (laughs) and uh, we started dating shortly thereafter. And then a few years later got married. Um, so 2021 I'm married, uh, and, um, pregnant, uh, with my second son. And when I was pregnant, I had a, a pretty significant, um, medical issue, pregnancy related medical issue. And I wasn't the doctors and I weren't quite sure what that was going to look like after I gave birth. And so that really got me thinking, okay, if I can't be a police officer after my second son is born, what the hell am I going to do? Um, you know, both my folks are cops. Um, 
I didn't really have, I mean, all, all of most of my friends were cops. I really didn't have an example that came to my mind as like, okay, well, I'll just follow what this person did. Right. I didn't really have like that mentor. And so it, it was, it was a really, really hard decision for me. But ultimately what ended up happening was I, um, had my second son and made the decision to leave law enforcement to run with this business. And no looking back. There's a couple avenues I'd like to go down based on what you just said. The first one that comes to mind is if you could go back and do it over again, would you expand your, your social circle to not be just all law enforcement? I would expand my social circle and I would also emphasize the idea that we are not just our chosen occupation. Um, Because at that time it was also really difficult for me because I identified so much as a police officer, that the idea of leaving that was, was leaving me was like leaving my identity. I'd grown up in law enforcement. I'd become a police officer like that. That was like what I was. Um, so I think it took a mindset shift to recognize, okay, well, I am more than just what I do. Um, and so once, once I was open to that idea, I think it came a little bit easier. And going way back to when you talked about growing up and how your parents almost pushed you away from law enforcement, when you started coming to the realization that maybe I'm going to walk away from this career, were they supportive or was it more of, well, Hey, now you, you signed on that dotted line. You said you were going to be a cop. Now you just ride it out. No, they're very supportive. Um, I think it was equally frustrating for them seeing the sort of shift in law enforcement. Um, cause they, I mean, they started in, my dad started in the eighties and being a police officer in the, in the eighties is much different than what it is today. Um, so th- they understood and they were very supportive of that. Obviously they wanted me to find something that was, um, equally something that I enjoyed, but then also would pay the bills. Right. They didn't want me to go into like left-handed puppetry or something (laughs) random. So. Cause right-handed pays more. (laughs) (laughs) The, you use the acronym RBS. Is that a specific acronym or is that just the business name? Uh, both. Uh, so RBS is responsible beverage service, and that is the mandatory, um, program that all alcohol servers have to go through. And so going down that avenue, cause I'd never heard of it before. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you. What does it specifically entail? And does being a police officer provide you a benefit in this arena? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so To answer the first part of the question, um, California passed a law in 2017 that all alcohol servers and managers have to uh, become what's called RBS certified, this responsible beverage service uh, program. Um, And it it essentially, um, in kind of a a vague description, certifies, okay, this alcohol server knows how to keep its patrons safe, knows what to do to keep its communities safe. And so now everyone who literally serves any alcohol uh, or checks IDs for the sales of on-site alcohol um, service um, has to have this RBS certification. So this law passed in 2017, but it didn't become enforceable until this year, 2022. And so um, 
this year was the year that it really blew up because now it's enforceable. Everybody needs it. And, um, became really, really busy because of that specific year. And is it every employee of a, of a business that sells alcohol or only those employees who touch the sale of alcohol? Who touch the alcohol, who pour it, who take an order for alcohol or someone who checks IDs for um, for someone who wants to purchase it in a, a, a bar, a nightclub, right? So our bouncers, our ID checkers have to be RBS certified. And then also people that not necessarily touch alcohol, but that manage, hire, supervise, or train alcohol servers, they have to also have this as well. And then it also touches nonprofits um, in a very specific way. So if there's a nonprofit, which there are many of them out there that um, want to have like a daily event and want to sell alcohol at that daily event, they also need to have re- representatives that have become certified through this program. So it's, it encompasses a lot of different segments um, of you know the hospitality and the food service industries here in California. But um, to your second question, being a police officer has absolutely um, helped because a lot of the things that I teach, the business teaches, my instructors teach, um, is a lot of what we went through. Um, So we talk about how to spot a fake ID, um, how to um, serve responsibly, how to identify if someone is intoxicated, especially to the point that they need to be cut off. So those types of things that I feel like come more naturally to police officers because of what we've seen and observed day to day on the job. Um, and so I think that's also too why this business, my business in particular has been so successful is because we're really the only ones in law enforcement doing this. Um, so whereas everyone else who um, teaches these RBS classes are, you know, HR firms or um, prior bartenders or something along those lines. Um, we're really the only ones that have that specific law enforcement background. So it's definitely something that's um, loosely right up our alley because, yeah. you know, you you think back to our careers and how much time we've gone into bars and establishments that you're bringing a lot of real world experience mm-hmm. absolutely from an enforcement aspect. Yeah. Yep. And did you find that coming to the end of when you chose to get out of law enforcement, was it too just too much time as far as balancing all the teaching you were doing and doing your regular job? I think it was a combination of it took up a lot of time and I came to the realization that at that moment in my life, I didn't really want to be a cop anymore. Was that a hard decision for you to make? Yeah. And it's, it's still hard for me to, to like vocalize that out loud. Um, because again, it was, it was so much of my identity, um, over many, many years that sort of formed that. But I came to the point where I felt like I was running a race that I didn't want to be in. And I was working myself so hard. I was so exhausted mentally, physically, emotionally, for what? I didn't really get anything other than a paycheck out of this career anymore. And once I recognized that, and I have a family, so my realization was 
if I'm spending this much time away from my family doing something that I don't really enjoy anymore, why? Now that you're out of it and looking back, have you had that moment of regret of I shouldn't have stepped away from it? No, no. And um, it's funny that you say that because I was just talking to my husband about this recently. Um, Getting out was so hard, Um, really up until like the last day before I had that conversation with my chief. I was really just, well, what if, am I going to regret this? You know, should I just tweak a few things, make it work a little bit easier for the family? So I was still very um, toyed with the idea of getting out. But once I did it, it was like the world was like this rose tinted color and the weight was lifted off of my shoulders and it was so freeing just knowing that I made that decision. There's no going back. So where am I going to go forward? Two aspects that I want to go down for somebody who's thinking about getting into the RBS training, Mm -hmm. maybe even something like, Oh, you know, when I, when I shut this career down, it might just be a side hustle for me. What specific training do they need to go to before they can start being a trainer or a teacher? Specific for RBS. um, So all of my instructors are either current or retired law enforcement. So um, there are places out there, myself included, that will absolutely hire police officers to do the instructing for this RBS curriculum. Um, So it, it really comes down to finding someone that um, is available to sort of teach you what you need to know. Um, I'm kind of a perfectionist a little bit at heart. And so with all my instructors, I I give them exactly what they need to know, what they need to learn. Um, So it's really just getting your foot in the door with whatever company or business um, that offers that. But with any side gig, I think the important thing is for it to be something that you enjoy and to have an open mind. Um, because again, all of these different segments of my side gigs and educational aspects, um, didn't really have anything to do with law enforcement at face value, but it sort of was interwoven into law enforcement in a roundabout way. Um, and so I think having an open mind when these opportunities presented themselves to me is an important thing to keep in mind. Now, you, you talk about how busy you are today, and you didn't have any idea it was going to be this busy. Did Is it because you're putting yourself out there more, or the previous owner kind of forgot to tell you how busy you were going to be? <laughs> um, I think I'm putting myself out there more. Um, I'm enjoying what I'm doing, and so I look forward to getting up in the morning and going to work, which is a very <laughs> new feeling. Um one that I have not experienced in a really long time. So, um, yeah. And I just think naturally because this is the big year where everyone needs to be certified. Um, there's a lot of people that are coming to my business, whether it's through word of mouth or just finding us through the different, um, channels that were out there. Um, so I think it's just, it's a natural, it's a naturally busy time of year, but then, um, once it starts to slow down, which inevitably it will, um, then I'm going to teach more uh, through post and, and these other So you've kept things. the post teaching going also. Yeah. The Going back to the RBS real quick. Mm-hmm. So everybody's required to become to come into compliance this year, or at least the enforcement aspect goes into effect 2022. 
Is there a refresh that's required and how often is that? Yeah. So once you become RBS certified, you're good for three years. And then uh, new hires, which is a lot of what I'm getting right now. Um, so any newly hired employee has to be RBS certified within 60 days. Um, so um, about half of the 1.2-ish million people in California that need this RBS certified have become certified. Um, obviously not all through me. Um, so half of the population is good for three years. The other half still needs it. And then all the new hires that come about need it. And if they switch employers, their certification follows them? Follows them, not the business. Yeah. So they're still good for three years. And then on the other side of it, so you put so much effort into an officer wellness program and you were highly involved in that. Have you stayed involved with that aspect now that you've stepped away from the law enforcement career? Only in terms of the financial coaching aspect. Yeah. Um, I sort of presented this beautiful, nice packet, uh, nice uh, neat packet to my department when I left and said, here you go. Nice present. Um, some of the things they have entertained and implemented, but um, more than half, not yet. So I'm hopeful eventually they will because I still have people that work there that I care about. And I think that would be a very needed thing that they should have at their disposal when it comes to wellness things. Um, but they haven't implemented a lot of it just yet. Now, having been somebody who's experienced firsthand the loss, did you ever find yourself in a position, and this is very personal, but being that that person listening to somebody else, was it too difficult for you? Um, I wouldn't say it's difficult. I think it's, for lack of a better term, it's scary just because I've seen what it can become. Um, I can see where it ends. So in, in terms of that, it, it can be scary depending on who I'm talking to and how far down the rabbit hole into the darkness they've gone. But on the flip side, the other side of the coin, I've also seen people bounce back. Um, and I've seen how much counseling and support and, you know, love and guidance can offer someone who seems like they're at the point of no return and they have returned. Um, so yes and no. And so the other side to that coin then is, is there the, the desire to get back into it or have some sort of hand in helping with the mental health aspect of law enforcement? I still love being somehow involved in that. So um, I think my answer to that would be yes. Um, I still am very connected with the nonprofits uh, that I have locally. I still um, volunteer for them, work for them with the financial coaching. I still do that on the side when those situations come up. Um, and then I also am very connected to an organization um, that helps uh, transitioning um, law enforcement, sworn or non-sworn, sort of get out of law enforcement. It's called um, Law Enforcement Connect um, or LEC. And so I work with them also to sort of help that transition because I think that transition in terms of mental health is also really challenging. Um, and there's a lot of studies out there that one of the highest um, likelihoods 
of suicidal ideation is when someone in law enforcement experiences some sort of involuntary separation from their department. So that could be um, getting fired or maybe um, uh, forced medical retirement, something along those lines. Um, And so when it comes to transitioning out of law enforcement, whether it be voluntarily or sort of involuntarily, um, I think that's a really important piece that we don't really have a lot of supporting organizations for. There's a lot for the military, right? There's a lot of transitioning resources out there for our military members, but not so much for first responders. And so um, I'm a big fan of Law Enforcement Connect. I work with them quite a bit because they really help with that transitional piece. What other services do they offer? Like when you say they, they assist with transitioning, what in total do they do? So it really depends on the individual, what they need. Um, but it can be anything from helping them uh, set up their resume, um, get that up to date, figure out how best to um, highlight who you are, what your transferable skills are, um, your soft sp- skills, right? Um, I feel like us in law enforcement especially, we, we look at like, well, we're good with guns and we, you know, like to chase people and all these things, but we don't really take into consideration the soft skills that we have, right? We're really great communicators. Um, We're really great um, at organizing things and uh, prepping and things like that. Um, um, Public relations, uh, all these things. And so Law Enforcement Connect helps with that and then kind of helps to, through counseling and, and other avenues, figure out what route would be best to sort of entertain getting out of law enforcement. You've now been removed or away from law enforcement a little over a year now? Um, I have not worked a patrol shift in a little over a year. However, I officially left uh, just a few months ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. Have you had enough time to reevaluate or evaluate your transition And for somebody who's thinking about making their transition out and starting or taking over their own business, Mm -hmm. what, what pieces of advice would you like to have been told maybe just in this short period of time that you've already been able to see? Yeah. I think having a backup plan in any segment of your life is always good. Um, You know, when I was a dispatcher, I had a backup plan. When I was a cop, I had a backup plan. Um, and so I think always having that just in the back of your mind, especially when you're in law enforcement, because you never know what can happen, right? You can blow out a knee, you can hurt your back, right? You can have a kid like me and maybe not be able to go back to to working a patrol shift. Um, so having a backup plan is really important. I also think having a backup plan that you enjoy is equally important because working takes a lot of time away from our family. So we want it to be something that gives back to us that we enjoy. Um, but along the same lines, I think trying to just be a sponge and learn as much as we can about the things that interest us. So for me, teaching, I really love to teach. I really love the psychology um, of a lot of things. And so that's why I went back to school and continued uh, and got my master's in psychology and I continued to teach for post and all these things. And so having a backup plan, I think really helps to guide you to whatever path would be best should you need uh, to get out of law enforcement. 
And just uh, specifically owning your own company, Mm -hmm. what have you learned being your own boss and and the owner of the company that maybe you didn't realize and even just a couple months into it before you got into it? What did I learn? I learned that the shifts shit's rough. (laughs) Uh, Pardon my That wraps it up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's like anything, right? There's a lot behind the scenes that go into it, right? So um, running my own business, I had a little bit of foundational work with, with the financial coaching stuff, but um, invoices and doing the numbers and your P&L and all these things, like I did not have experience that was not in my wheelhouse at all. Um, so I had to learn those things and, and I was okay with that because again, it was something that I enjoyed. Um, so specific to business, I also think it's important, especially for those in law enforcement to, to know that we can survive. Um, for me that the financial part of it was scariest because obviously I have small kids. Um, my husband is, is in law enforcement. So we have that, um, sort of quote, secure income to fall back on, uh, those benefits to fall back on. But being a dual income family and then having me leave was really scary to us. Um, with that said, I took that leap of faith and my first month out of law enforcement, I made triple what I would have made had I stayed in the, in uh, law enforcement. So I think it's important to highlight that taking that leap of faith is really important regardless of if you, you know, double your income or not. Um, just knowing that you we're resilient, we'll find a way you'll survive. You'll make it happen is important because I think it's really scary for us to leave that kind of quote, secure paycheck, that secure job. If anybody has any additional questions, can they reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, all of the contact is on, uh, the business website. So it's uh, centralcoastrbs.com. Um, I'm on, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, um, I do have, uh, personal profiles. I'm not on them quite a bit, um, uh, these days just because kind of busy, <laughs> but, um, what you don't have a personal life. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's okay. Yes. I, I kind of don't, but it's so different because I'm just as busy, if not more than I was as a cop, but it's such a different feeling because the job that I'm doing now fills my cup. And so I'm not exhausted. I'm busy. I'm tired at the end of the day, but I'm not, I'm not dragging ass. I'm not exhausted like I was um, going through the things that I went through in law enforcement. And so I think that's the big difference. And you're not dreading going back to work the next day. Right. Yep. I appreciate your time. I know you got to get down to LA. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for being a pleasure. Thank you for taking your time to listen to the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed it. Not only is the podcast available on audio platforms, but you can also watch it on YouTube at the Transition Drill Podcast channel. Please subscribe for future episodes. The best way you can help the show is by getting the word out. If you think somebody else might enjoy it, I would appreciate it if you would share it with them. Also, if you have the time, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a rating. I welcome your feedback, both positive and negative. You can also go to the website, transitiondrillpodcast.com. And through the contact tab, send a message directly to my email with any comments or suggestions. Thank you again, and I hope you tune in for the next one.